Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle sometime every Saturday or two when we take steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right. And we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject or two that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. It's so great to have you along. Left versus right, Curtis Lee, we're coming up after this. You can hear us up and down the East Coast. Late at night, you can hear us all the way to... Halifax, Nova Scotia, 50,000 watts of clear channel. Not 100% sure what that means. WABCradio.com. Uh, and you can always call to be part of the show, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Ava's on the phones. Christian is on the board. And Kevin is supervising things. It's really great to have you along. You can get a hold of me at Rep Wiener on Twitter, X. Anthony D. Wiener on threads. Is that done? The threads phenomenon? Is that all done? You can reach me there too. I've got me. You can be one of my nine followers. Or you can email me at wienerwabc at gmail.com. Yes, I've been talking about it a few weeks now. Jordan is back from camp. He's he's about three, literally three inches taller. You know, we have one of those things on the wall where we can march in pencil where, where he's since March, he's grown about three inches. And he hasn't put it, he's lost a little weight. So he's like stretched out. He looks like Manute Bull. But it's so great to have him back. He is such a wonderful young man. And with each passing month, he becomes a little bit more of a handful. He's sassy and funny. And I hope he's not listening. He's also become quite the good-looking kid. I mean, I guess, you know, his mom is gorgeous. So, like, it's not that surprising. But he's back from camp. He did that thing that I think you always – you can say that sentence about him that is probably the highest compliment you can say about a kid. He was scared about going back. He said the words, I feel scared, and he did it anyway. And he overcame, and he uh, he had fun, and it's great to have him home. Last night, we and so many other people, the place was full, went to see the Staten Island Ferry Hawks play the Savannah Bananas. 
you know, John Katsimatidis owns the Ferry Hawks. The Savannah Bananas, if you are among the uninitiated, and I'm not going to act like I knew all about these cats, they are a, a minor league baseball team, but they are kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball. At their owner, they sat down and they said, what are all the things that are boring and unfun about baseball? And we're going to find a way to fix every one of them. So they wear these bright yellow jerseys. They don't know where baseball hats they are. They're like the village people that all wear a different hat. They they goof around out there on the on the field. They they pitch really fast. In fact, the games are timed at two hours. They go no more than two hours. Nonstop music playing. It's just a lot of fun. So I didn't know anything about it. The moment I mentioned to Jordan that um we were invited to to go out there, he was all into it. Cost me a few shekels how to get him a Savannah Bananas jersey. If you're again, it is it's just more evidence that social media can. There are like four, five, six million people that follow them on on TikTok that Jordan follows. He's an 11 year old kid, and anything that gets him more interested in baseball, I'm into because you, you know the the book on baseball is it just kids are not following it. But I was out there in Staten Island. I love being back on Staten Island. When I ran for mayor in 2005. And I had represented parts of Brooklyn and Queens. Um, I was in a four-way primary that year, a four-way primary, and I got 50% of the Democratic primary in Staten Island. Now, Staten Island is small, but I got 50% in the four-way. It was a blowout. I love being out there. I just love, you know, the, the I, I love the way, you know, it's, I mean, look, I was a little bit more the politics of Staten Island than perhaps my colleagues were. But people like Mike Kukusik and and even the the Republican elected officials out there, Mike McMahon, these 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 folks, um, I just really like the people of Staten Island. I really like uh, you know, and I was showing Jordan around a little bit on the way to the game. But I was reminded of a story that I for I forgot until this morning. Um, so it's the campaign is going on. I am far from the front runner. This is 2005. Mike Bloomberg could serve one term. I'm I'm running to be the Democratic nominee to take on this billionaire, which was. Maybe not the, the best idea in the world. But anyway, so um, I'm campaigning a lot on Staten Island. And we get a call from what were then the Staten Island Yankees, which I think were a single-A split-season affiliate of the New York Yankees. Would I like to throw out the first pitch at a Staten Island Yankees game? Now, I'm a Met fan, and so I disclosed that, and I talked about it on the campaign trail all the time. And they said, well, this is different. This is the Staten Island Yankees. And I was like, this would be great. I mean, first of all, as a candidate, I had a chance to go out there and kind of walk up and down the bleachers and everything else and say hello to people. Like the idea was to campaign. It's campaign. It was raining a little bit. The weather wasn't terrific. And there is the other problem that nobody, politician-wise, nobody ever gets cheered when they're announced at a baseball game. Like how popular a politician you are, you get booed. That's kind of like a rite of passage. Um, I had no concern about the problems that other politicians have reaching the plate. I mean, I play baseball a little bit. Anyway, so I'm excited to do this. And just to set the table, I didn't have the biggest campaign staff in the world. We were a lean campaign. We didn't have as much money as the other. So you might. So anyway, so they announce me and they say, now, coming to the mound, Anthony Weiner, Congressman Anthony Weiner, in honor of Italian-American Heritage Night here at Yankee Stadium. Here at, um, at uh, what was it called? The Staten Island? I don't know. Here at the stadium for the Staten Island Yankee. At this point, I'm already walking out. I am, for those of you who are uninitiated, and most of my listeners know this, I'm not Italian in any way. I'm named for my great-grandmother, Anna. She was British, 
Anthony is a popular British name, Anthony Newley, Anthony Hopkins, whatever. But I am not that. Now, it doesn't stop me from when people call me Tony. I don't, I don't, I don't correct them. And in places like Ozone Park and Howard Beach, they called me Tony and I didn't object one bit. But now I'm walking out and the first thing I'm thinking is like campaigns are all about gaffes and mistakes and scandals. And thankfully, I didn't have one that, you know, I would later on in life. But that's another episode for another story, another story for another episode. So I'm out there and I don't know what to do. Do I yell at the top of my lungs? I'm Jewish. Do I? What do I do? So I there's nothing I could do. I kept going. I throw out the first pitch. I put my head down. I walk back. I wave. Everyone claps. And I had thrown out the first pitch for Italian-American Heritage Night. Um, at Staten Island, at the Staten Island Stadium out there uh, for the, and I don't remember how we resolved it. I think what we probably did is I said, told my press secretary, just tell their PR people, I've, I've got enormous respect for the Italian people, but I'm not one of them. I don't remember if it ever caused any kind of a flap. It was a half full stadium when I was a second tier candidate, but that reminded me of that story. I forgot to tell that story. It's thinking about it this morning that I'm sure. <clears throat> Frank Morano would love to tell that story. So it was great to be back on Staten Island last night. I want to thank John and Margot Katz and Keys for having me. John, uh, Jordan had a, a ball. Had uh, he got a Staten, he got a Savannah Bananas jersey out of it, and uh, that was great. So a little bit about this week. It's great to have you on. Enormous amount happened in the news. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You know, traditionally August, these are slow times. Congress is out of session. Things slow down. And this is kind of silly season, they call it, because like stuff comes out that makes for news but isn't really. But there's an enormous amount going on. But before we get to that, I want to tell you there are going to be some changes to the show this week. Um, from now on, the middle is going to be two hours. We're going to be on from two to four. And then left versus right, Curtis Lee was going to come in at four o'clock uh, for four, the hour then. And, you know, it's going to be a bit more time to let things breathe a little bit. Maybe a guest every so often, maybe a few more opportunities from calls. Sometimes people complain I don't get to enough calls because I do too long monologuing and that kind of stuff. Sometimes people complain I play too much music. Um, and so well, why the why the change? Like in part because things are starting to get serious, right? The presidential campaign is entering the real stage. I think whenever debates start, that's the kind of the formal beginning of the campaign and they're going to be coming up soon. You're going to start seeing candidates start to give some real thought to dropping out. Um, also, let's face it, the the unprecedented kind of legal matters surrounding President Trump, the indictments, there's probably going to be another one coming down very soon, perhaps this week in Georgia. The investigations of both President Biden and his son, we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's almost a daily deluge of new wrinkles, and it takes a little bit more time to unpack. And... You know, we at 77 WABC Radio, we call ourselves news and talk. And covering the news is a big part of our mission. Noam Layton does it every week with, with Curtis, with, with Sid in the morning, and he's, he's been joining us on the weekends. Having opinions is the other half, and we do plenty of that too. But making sure we get to all the important stuff is why our station has become so relevant after years of maybe just – to put it gently, not being perhaps so much so. Um, but the other reason for the extra time, perhaps, is that this show has been an experiment that seems like it might be working. Um, in March of last year, 
when John and Margot Katsimatidis suggested the idea of putting me and Curtis Sliwa on the radio together, it was a, a bit of a risky proposition, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, not because having someone on the left on the air is so unusual at WABC Radio. In fact, having different politics on this same station and even the same show were part of the tradition of this place. Um, Curtis jokes about having more co-hosts over the years than ex-wives, but shows like Curtis and Kuby are why someday probably Curtis Lewa will wind up in the Radio Hall of Fame. I mean, it's 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 the, you know, kind of what we've always done here. So what made it risky was me, <laughs> me, Anthony Weiner. And you know the reasons why. I don't need to, you know, I talk about them a lot on the air and I'm and I've always expressed a willingness to talk about them more if callers want to call and talk to me about them. But when left and right did pretty well, and soon I was doing an hour of it alone, and then this show, The Middle, was born. You you all know that now. I think we're up to episode 72 or something like that. But let me tell you a little bit about that sentence, that the left and right did well, and soon an hour, I was doing an hour alone, and soon the show, The Middle, was on. Not only did Curtis, who I was doing left and right with, not object to me taking an hour of airtime from his schedule, which is in radio terms like climbing into the lion's den at at the zoo and taking away his supper and his cub or something like that. But he did, not only didn't he object to that, he did everything he could to encourage our audience to give me a chance. He did a thousand things behind the scenes to kind of teach me the craft. I mean, I had been on the radio as a guest a thousand times. I've even done a little filling in, but... Um, and he was also an enth- enthusiastic kind of booster when the idea of, was floated of me um, doing it alone. And that doesn't always happen. You know, there is the zero-sum game view that radio hosts sometimes have. You know, if that guy's getting more, that means I'm getting less. And I, I'll be honest with you, I knew Curtis the way all of you knew him, as this, you know, larger-than-life, slightly unhinged, one taco short of a combo fixture of New York City radio. But for now, like, I mean, I hate to say it, it's been a generation of listeners who have listened to Curtis. But he's something else, though. He's also a real artisan of of this craft. You know, the highest compliment he ever pays around here is when he says, that was good radio. You know, <laughs> you know like that's that's from, for his like it's a it's a third person ideal of like, look, you want to make good radio and we're just players of that. But it's also true that John and Margot took a risk. Um, you know, they took this station, picked it up, as you've heard many hosts talk about, off the, the crap, the, 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 the trash heap. And I was starting to really get some real momentum. And then the question is like, would listeners give me a chance? But they also, they too wanted good radios, wanted good radio, but they were, they were concerned and the risk was out there. I don't they never expressed this concern, but I know that the risk was out there that listeners would rebel someone like me. They, and they took a lot of flack for me. They took a lot of flack for Huma. Um, and they too hung in there with the idea around loyalty and also the idea of trying to figure out ways to make the, the, this station a community asset. But ultimately it came down to you, my dear listener, you know, Chad Lopez, who, if John is the commander in chief, Chad is our admiral. I'd have written in my notes field general, but as a Navy guy, I didn't want to offend him. He's like our admiral. And and he's, to be honest with you, forgotten more about the business of radio than I'll ever know. 
Um, but he gave me great advice. He says that radio audiences, they're like any other community and that people from many different places come to, to a radio station and come to be listeners. And if you treat them with respect, they will respect you. Um, and that, that is a lesson I've continually learned in politics, representing conservative parts of this city, representing neighborhoods like Glendale and Howard Beach and, and Southern Brooklyn. Um, and for me, that meant when I approached this job of never talking down to you, the audience. As last week, I got a little hot under the collar because I thought that other people, lawyers saying things they knew weren't true, hosts saying things that I think just to be provocative, that, you know, um, I don't take opinions personally. And above all, like the idea is I, I think that that if you listen to people, that good things wind up happening. You know, I talk a lot about the left and the right and the, and the Venn diagram and the folks in the middle. That We don't need to have agreement, but we do need to listen to each other. And so I've tried to listen to the good advice and according to the numbers and the feedback we get and the callers that have called in um, – more and more people are listening to the show. More and more people are connecting to what we're trying to do here. And I'll be honest with you, I'm still learning. I still want to get better at this. And every week you help me do that. You, the audience, help me do that. And you have probably sensed something that I have been looking for. I'm trying to – I'm getting my footing, right? Some I, I talked about this a little on the show last week. Sometimes when I have shows like last week where I get kind of hot under the collar, people are like, yeah, I like the old wiener. He's back. And then other people call up, like Tony in New Jersey called up, and she was like, I don't like it when you yell. I mean, just calm down, my dude. And some of it comes from this internal dialogue slash debate that I'm trying to have about who I am, this iteration of me. I don't want to be someone who just performs outrage for the purpose of getting likes and listens and maybe voters and followers on the internet. I'm a radio guy now at an august radio station that tries to do both sides of the issue. And there aren't a lot of people who are doing my side of the issue here, and I take that seriously. I want to kind of do it in a way that's respectful, but also, you know, sometimes I'm like, I do get ticked off. But most of the time I find when I'm being my most authentic self is when I'm listening to all of you like I would listen to a constituent who I had to ultimately ask for their vote. And that is I'm not going to tell you that national health care is a bad idea when I know that it's a good idea. I'm not going to tell you that Donald Trump should not go to prison just because he, he held a high office or he's a candidate for president. I'm not going to tell you those things. On the other hand, I do have time for people to call in and push back on these things. And I do think that there is room that if we're prepared to talk our truths to each other, you know, it's going to be okay. But I really do want to express my gratitude to all of those people, to Curtis, to John and Margo, to Chad, and especially to all of you who now are going to be doing two hours and um, for those of you who are going to tune in at 3 o'clock for Curtis, I'll, I'll refresh this message a little bit for you then. And when we come back, we're going to do the numbers of the week, and then we're going to talk about the uh, special counsel, not only for Hunter Biden, but for Joe Biden, for Donald Trump, for Bill Clinton, for a lot of folks. And also a little later on, maybe in the second half of the show, I'm going to bust some of the myths about the asylum seekers who are here, the migrants who are here. And why some of the things you've been hearing around the clock are just not true. This is Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. So great to have you along. And we'll see you on the other side.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Welcome back to the middle. Our bumper music today is going to be in honor of the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Born here in New York City 50 years ago, yesterday, I guess, in the Boogie Down Bronx. Our music is being curated today by Peter Rosenberg of Hot 97, who called to congratulate me on my on my new uh, two-hour show. He was part of the big show up at Yankee Stadium. Speaking about Yankee Stadium, Jordan and his mom are going to see the opening. Talk about a hard swerve from the 50th anniversary of hip hop and Grandmaster Flash. They're going to see the Jonas Brothers tour starts today, tonight, apparently. And that's where Jordan and his mom are going. See, when Jordan and I hang out, we go to the playground and kick soccer balls around. When him and his mom hang out, he goes to this backstage at the Jonas Brothers. I can't compare. Actually, you know what? Yesterday I did pretty well. The Savannah Bananas was pretty good. So anyway, let's get to the numbers of the week. Each week I do numbers that come out of the news. Some of them are meaningful. Some of them are just silly. And some of them hopefully get us thinking about one or two of the issues we want to talk about. First one is $100,000. $100,000 is what Beyonce, she wrote a check for $100,000 because her show on August 6th, I guess at FedEx Center in the in suburban Washington, went long. And so the Metro could keep running despite the rain delays of her show. She spent $100,000 to keep the Metro up and running. Now, a couple of things about that. First of all, what do you mean keep it open? <laughs> what, is, what, kind of, what kind of B-rate subway system do you guys have down there in Washington that you close it at night? Um, but also, I was really impressed with that until I found out that that's the condition of I think the contract that they have when they rent out the stadium, that they got to put some money on the barrel head in case subways, in case they run late to keep the subway open. I thought that was interesting. So 100000 that's one of the numbers of the week. Next is $850,000. That's what Senator Tobby Tuberville paid for a Florida condo last month. There's only one problem. He doesn't represent Florida. He represents Alabama in the United States Senate, the former coach of Auburn. 
It's the second most important college football program in the state of, of Alabama. Um, and it's interesting to note that he also sold all of his homes in the state of Alabama. So now the state of Florida has three United States senators. So Tommy Tuberville, you're doing well for yourself representing the state of Alabama and living in the state of Florida. By the way, in case you all know, he must have owned something else. No, all of the properties in his name were were sold. And then the senator signed the, the in front of a notary in Florida, in Walton County, um, during the recess. Uh, he put down um, he put down that he was the owner as our, as our primary residence. So there's that. That's a number of the week. Here's an interesting number of the week. You know, I love polls and I love looking at them and trying to divine meanings beyond just the top line. So Biden's favorability among Democrats is 8711. That's just among Democrats. That's a great number, 8711. What's interesting about that number, 87% favorable, you know, that's higher than it was among Democrats than Obama was in 2011 and most of 2012. Kind of at similar points at, um, in his presidency. You know, we have this notion that Democrats aren't crazy about Biden. Republicans aren't crazy about Trump, but here we are. Actually, Joe Biden is very popular among Democrats. Now, I think part of the reason for that is the partisan nature of politics nowadays. By the way, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. So that's a number of the week. Joe Biden, popular among among Democrats. And the final number of the week is $2 billion. $2 billion of investment is what the Saudi Arabia royal family and their sovereign fund made – um, in Donald Trump's son-in-law's investment fund after Jared Kushner left office. And I mention that because um, House Oversight Committee James Comer, who has been beating the drum about Hunter Biden, agreed that that, what he said, here's the quote, crossed the line of ethics by accepting the money from the Saudis. Basically, this idea of people trading on their father's names, on their family's name, is a problem. I mean, the problem is is acute. But that doesn't change the fact that the big news this week that just came down the other day, uh, yesterday, the day before, was that now the U.S. attorney who has been investigating um, Hunter Biden has now been elevated to special counsel. And special counsel is what Jack Smith is. Special counsel, this guy David Weiss is going to be. Um, Special counsel is what Robert Mueller is uh, was rather, and the way the way these things work is special counsels were created. These becomes called independent prosecutors. Now they're called special counsels because of the inherent conflict of appearance that that is when the Justice Department of the administration has to investigate someone close to their own administration. Now traditionally, the Justice Department is very independent, but still there's the appearance of it. And then when you had a circumstance like we had in the Watergate crisis where when Richard Nixon didn't want to be investigated, um, he, he fired, he fired the, the Justice Department officials that were investigating. And so it was pretty clear after that that something had to change. It doesn't mean that overnight there's no partisanship, but it does mean that these guys have special protections that they get final say on stuff, that they are under the Justice Department umbrella, but they don't have to consult with the U.S. attorney, uh, with the, uh, the, the attorney general. That it gives them 
the charging decisions they make, if they decide that they want to charge someone and they they are somehow interfered with or overruled, they can go directly to Congress. And in a lot of cases under the statute, they're required to go to Congress and report um, any interference that they had and also report what they found and what they what what they didn't find. I mean, unlike a U.S. attorney who has to indict or not indict. Now, this guy, David Weiss, is going to have an opportunity to um, to do a report, a full report that includes things that maybe weren't charged, for example. Uh, so that's big news, right? That this, this now it is also big news because over and over again, Republicans have been demanding this in July in September of 2022. Every United States Rep- uh, Re- senator who's a Republican put their name to a letter asking there to be an independent counsel appointed. Um, Jim Jordan, just back in February of the, of this year, you know, tweeted out, "How come there's not a an independent counsel?" Now that there is, now that there is, there are people who are saying they don't even like that. Listen to what was on Katz and Cosby just yesterday. It's just, by the way, the I want to have you walk through Andy too to all our great listeners here on Katz and Cosby. Why this guy should not have been picked, because when you pick a special counsel, my understanding, it should be somebody independent. It should be somebody outside the government, right? Yeah, the special counsel regulations explicitly say, Rita, this is like uh, Section 600.3. There's only 10 regulations. They go from point one to point 10. Um, but the, the third one says that a special counsel shall be a lawyer from outside the United States government, not just outside the Justice Department, outside the government. Well, listen, there is no bigger phony than Andy McCarthy, but he lives up to his name all the time. It, you know, he, the, he, he, he's, he's out. I mean, I, I have no patience for him. This is someone who took a run at my wife and tried to slander her because she was Muslim. Putting that aside, He's all, oh, it's got to be someone outside the government? How come he didn't say anything like that when Durham was appointed? The U.S. attorney in Connecticut at the time was appointed by Barr. He was the U.S. attorney at the time. There is so much hypocrisy and phoniness. Oh, we can't have someone from inside. Oh, yeah, let's have another person. By the way, David Weiss, no one's been able to explain the problem that the Republicans have with David Weiss. He was appointed by Donald Trump. Donald Trump. But they didn't. And and Robert Mueller, who, you know, the Mueller phone, you think he's a Republican. Mueller was a Republican. He was appointed by Bush. And oh, and by the way, there, Joe Biden, we're going to get to this in a second. Joe Biden has a special prosecutor also. A Republican um, um, appointed by Donald Trump. Look, you, so you got to pick a lane here. You can't say I love Durham because he didn't find anything, but he put out a, a, a great statement about how outrageous the FBI is. But but I I don't like this other Republican, this guy David Weiss. He's a Republican. He's the U.S. Attorney in Delaware appointed by Donald Trump. And by the way, it doesn't make a huge difference in this case. This guy, David Weiss, testified repeatedly. He had complete independence to charge whatever he wants in the Hunter Biden case. He investigated it for five years, the same guy. 
The investigation started under wait for it. Donald Trump. So, like, there's no perfect way to do this. But one of the ways you do it is you give career prosecutors the authority to go look for it. And listen, I know Joe Biden probably is not happy about this. And I'm sure that that if I recall, Donald Trump was not happy about Mueller. <laughs> but you can't just say we, we, we don't like them because I mean, you can't say I demand to have a special prosecutor, but oh, I don't want that one because we don't like him. And why don't you like him? Because he's not saying the things that you like. We need to in American life have to be able to say at some point the buck has to stop somewhere. You've got to have investigations. Someone has to do it. We have a justice department. We have lawyers. We have independent. We have a statute to make sure that there's not interference. Jack Smith is not a Democrat. The guy investigating Trump. This is a grand jury in Florida that handed up the indictment. Jack Smith um, brought down uh, or, or prosecuted John Edwards, who's a presidential candidate. This guy, Durham, was a Republican appointed by a, by a fellow Republican in Bob Barr. All right. I, I think if you want to make it really look good, you don't appoint. A, but Durham didn't find anything anyway, even after it. The point I'm making is that, is that the one thing to, to look out for, whether it be with politicians or radio hosts, is demo, you know is demagogue. I mean, don't demagogue this thing. You either believe in the special counsel or you don't. Let's get some calls from some people who clearly have views on this issue. Um, let's start with Adam and Mineola. Adam, thank you for joining us today. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Adam. I'm so happy they gave you that other hour, man. Thank you, man. I, you know, Mr. Cat, I appreciate that. Um, I, you know, I'm so happy that you even went in on that subject right there because a lot of people don't know that Durham was Republican and, you know, all these special counsels are Republicans and they're going crazy about them. They hate them today. They didn't hate them yesterday. But anyway... What do you think about that federal judge, sir, saying about Trump? You know, talk. She 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 told me we can we can start your trial now. We can get just be the trial going now if you keep running your mouth. You know. What do you yeah, think she, about that? Yeah, she. But but here's in, in fairness and thank you, Adam. I appreciate the kindness and call us again. I mean, look, um, there is this thing about these special prosecutors, these these independent counsels, these special counsels that. To some degree, people want certain outcomes. Like if people want Hunter Biden to be prosecuted for, for something or Joe Biden to be prosecuted for something, they just care about the outcome. By the way, I should point this out. This, is, this gets overlooked a lot. You know, there's a special, uh, a special counsel now for Joe Biden. This guy, Robert Hur, again, a Republican that was appointed by Merrick Garland to investigate Merrick Garland's boss, a Republican. He was, he was Trump's appointment to be the U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland. And this whole, the Justice Department is out to get it. Really, the Justice Department is throwing more sand in the gears of the Biden crew than anyone else. But anyway, so that so there's a, a, a special counsel out there of Joe Biden right now for his mishandling of documents. And recently there's been some, some reporting that it's getting close to the end. It's eight months. One thing you can say, and it's be perfectly fair, boy, these things take a long time. Five years for Hunter, eight months to figure out why why Joe Biden had files next to his 
car in his garage. It does seem to take a long time. Next, let's go to James in Astoria. Hey, James, welcome back. Do we have you, James? Let's drop James. And James, call us back. You're, there's trouble with your line. Saul in Long Island. Hey, Saul, thanks for calling in. Listen, I have, are my personal beliefs protected under the Constitution of the United States? And then I, I'm going to ask you what I believe. I'm going to tell you what I believe. It depends. Well, what are your personal beliefs? I'll tell you if they're protected. Well, my personal beliefs is that Anthony Fauci, with the help of Chinese government, manufactured COVID-19, released it into the population, killed millions of people to get rid of it, President Trump. Yeah, you can, you can, totally, you can totally have that belief. A, 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 lot of, a lot of people have a similar delusion. What's your point? But my point is, are we going to prosecute Donald Trump for his own personal beliefs? Are you kidding me? No, no, no. You're absolutely not going to prosecute him at least. You're going to prosecute him for his actions. What action did he do? Did he, that's his belief. He believed the election was stolen. You can I absolutely, believe that. Wait a minute, Saul. I cannot believe someone like you did not listen to my episode last week. Go back and listen to it. It's available on the Red Apple Podcast Network and everywhere you get podcasts. You can believe the election was stolen all you want. You totally can. So long as you don't take those beliefs and then create fake electors violating the law, then you don't try to stop the, 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 uh, the efforts of government on January 6th. Then you don't create fake investigations by the, uh, uh, um, by the Justice Department, use the Justice Department to try to strong arm state officials. And then you can't rally a mob to try to execute your vice president. It's your actions. His actions are being present. It says right there in paragraph three on page two of the indictment that he has a right to believe wrong things. He even has a right to lie about them. That's not what this case is about. If he takes a lie and then does goes out and organizes a cabal of fake electors under the Electoral College and violates the Electoral Count Act, that's a crime. That's what he's getting prosecuted. That, that's why he's 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 getting problems. Um, next, let's go to Scott in Lexington, Kentucky. Hey, Scott, welcome aboard. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call, Anthony. Hey, listen, uh, I'm glad you got hooked up with the Mister Captain Martinez, and uh, I can't believe Curtis teamed up with you, but that's a whole other story. Hey, listen, uh, do you think in your heart of hearts, Joe Biden didn't get no money out of this deal? Well, here's what I think. I don't, I'm not, thank you, Scott. I appreciate you listening. Um, look, here's my view. My view is I looked really hard at that laptop. That laptop had all kinds of financial documents all over it, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. The House Oversight Committee has been subpoenaing bank records, subpoenaing transaction reports, and everything else. And I just say, if indeed there was any money going to Joe Biden in all of this labyrinth of stuff, do you think that at some point, Comer, the Republicans, McCarthy, the hosts here at at the station, Miranda Devine, anyone. Don't you think maybe they would have shown it to us by now? They keep saying there's evidence, there's evidence, there's evidence, but there's not. They can't haven't produced anything. They and they keep saying here's our next bombshell is we're going to bring the business partner who overheard conversations. Crickets. What did he say? He said I didn't hear anything about business deals with with Joe Biden. These, you know, 
the thing about money moving around is that is that it's you know fine you've got some pe- even these IRS guys didn't didn't sit down in front of Congress and say they have access to all kinds of stuff didn't say that Joe Biden was involved in this look this has always been the problem with the Hunter Biden case in the Republic. It is bad enough that this guy was trading on his on his dad's name, something that I said from the very first time I, I, I took this microphone. It is bad enough that the guy was in active addiction and doing things that were terribly embarrassing and, and whatever. It is bad enough that that that, you know, that every time he turned around, he was taking a deal with some shady company or some shady country, whatever it is. These things are not great. They don't look good. And whether they're crimes or not, well. The, the 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 prosecutor in in Delaware found a couple of crimes. He didn't pay taxes and he lied on a gun, on a gun application. Taking money from sleazy sources and pretending to be a big deal, unfortunately, is not a crime any more than take two billion dollars from the Saudis for your fund when you have no qualifications to get it. Trading on your daddy's name, trading on the family name, is a thing, no doubt about it. But that that that, that should be, you know. But who knows? Now this is now it's been investigated for five years by a Trump appointee. Now that Trump appointee is going to have a different title. Maybe he'll find some, find some more things. Uh, next, let's go to Liz in Long Island. Hey, Liz, thank you so much for calling. Yeah, hi. Um, I consider myself a conservative at this point. Uh, when I was a kid, not old enough to vote, but I would have considered myself a Kennedy Democrat. Um. I even voted for Obama first time around only because I was terrified of the opposite. But I didn't vote for him the second time around. And I've been watching a lot of stuff on the news, and I've really, really, really considered myself conservative. I say this all because what I want to say now is that even though I totally disagree with your perspective, and I think that some of it's off the wall. Yeah. I totally respect that you're on the station and you're expressing it. And I totally respect the station for doing this. Because as a conservative, I do believe in free speech. Well, I, I appreciate it, Liz. And right back at you. You know, I think that when I think of the of the kind of archetype of who I think our listeners are that we should be serving. I don't expect anyone to take their partisanship or take their biases or take their their life experiences and leave them at the doorway when they check in to hear what's going on in 77 WABC. You should bring those things. But the question is, are we going to be a country where we only gather up our own tribe? We echo back and forth to each other on MSNBC. We say the same things over and over again. On Fox News, we say the same things over and over again to each other, and we all pat each other on the head and say how brilliant we all are. Or do we become a country more so that says, look, here's my bias, here's your bias, here's your different perspective, here's my different perspective. I can listen to those things, and maybe from it comes something a little bit more like mutual respect than what we have today in the dialogue. And this station um, – there's a lot of one thing. There's a, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that it's equal parts Anthony Weiner and Bo Snurdly, even though we frequently get confused for one another. But I will say that, um, and we have this conversation a lot, that John Katsimatidis has said, I want 
common sense. I want people who fight for this country. I want people who care. And we can weather not agreeing with one another all the time so long as we start from that basic sense of patriotism. And that's what this is. This is ultimately a patriotic exercise. There's probably no more patriotic an exercise there is that we can do on a Saturday afternoon than talk about a future of our country together. Um, and I really appreciate Liz's sentiment, and I appreciate all of you who have, uh, who have helped out with this program um, for the last 71 episodes or so. We'll be back after the break with a little more talk about Hunter Biden and Donald Trump. And then at the top of the hour, when folks are expecting to hear Curtis Lee, we're going to do one more hour. We're going to focus a little bit more on this asylum crisis, on this migrant crisis. I do appreciate you being along. It's the middle. We'll see you on the other side. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to the middle. This is Anthony Weiner. That's Run DMC bringing us back in. Sucker MCs. Yesterday was the date on the calendar that marked the 50th anniversary of the birth of hip hop in the Bronx. Our list today has been curated by Peter Rosenberg of our competitor station, Hot 97. I wonder if there is a overlap of Hot 97 listeners and my show. I don't know. I, by the way, don't listen to Peter's show because I'm listening to the number one news talk. Sid Rosenberg in the morning, Sid and Friends, who continues to just, we're not allowed to talk about numbers, but continues to just blow up. And he had his premiere of his movie on Friday. And uh, I'm going to get it this weekend. So, oh, that was Run DMC with Sucker MC. So we're talking a little bit about special counsels and the prosecutors, and we've got a few more calls to get to on that. At the top of the hour, Curtis will not be coming in. He's coming in at 4 o'clock, as we're going to do two hours from here on out on the middle. And um, in the second hour, we're going to talk a little bit more about immigration and the migrant crisis. But for now, we're talking about Trump and Hunter. And next, let's go to Dom in Minnesota. Hey, Dom, welcome aboard. Yeah, Anthony, um, can you hear me? I can. Yeah. So uh, full disclosure, I am a conservative like that that last lady that called. But I did not like you at all. I'll be honest with you. When you had that scandal with your wife and Hillary Clinton and all that stuff. But. 
after listening to you over the years, I think you're a straight shooter in my book in terms of the fact, in, in spite of the fact that a lot of your um, you know, policies and stuff that you propagate, I am not for it. But, however, I do respect your position uh, for being in the middle. I think you try your level best to be that. That's why I keep coming back listening to you. But here's my question. So Jack Smith, when he talked to the press, I think he said <clears throat> Trump is going to be um, indicted on all these things. And he said in the last, his last sentence, if I can remember right, was these are just allegations and we don't have we don't know yet until we prove it. So and that's one thing he said. So he did use the word insurrection in Trump, which means to say, I'm just wondering if he can convict him on anything at all, because he was, he's not. I mean, in the statement, he said, I mean, people that read the uh, indictment also said there was nothing that said insurrection. Correct. That's which right. Means Trump did not create that. I mean, like he was he might be feeling that, well, I won the election, whatever. So can you you know, prosecute somebody for thinking the way they do. Yeah. So that's a good. First of all, thank you for the kindness. I, I appreciate you. You're, you're listening and, 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 and trying to participate in this notion of like letting both sides hear each other. Look, it, it, one thing you said is absolutely right. These are just allegations. That's all any indictment ever is. Whenever you're charged, it's the government side of the case. And you get a chance to have a trial where you get to cross-examine witnesses. You get to question evidence. You get to do all that kind of stuff. That's all they are allegations. However, the allegations are very specific, very easy to understand, and clearly illegal. He's going to have to try to figure out how to defend themselves. Now, about the, this notion, he was not charged with insurrection. He wasn't charged with sedition, wasn't charged with any of those things. However, the words – he was charged with similar things that other people were charged with in Washington, D.C. because he too was trying to interfere with – the Electoral College votes being counted. He, too, was trying to interfere with something that government was supposed to be doing. That's a crime. Now, he did he physically go in and grab somebody? No. But what he did do is he got a bunch of fake electors to sign documents that turned out not to be truthful. He called around government leaders and said, here's something that, government, that the federal government believes which was not true. And then he did incite that crowd. To turn on Mike Pence when Mike Pence wouldn't break the law for him. So those are things he did, not things he thought, not things he alleged. Those are things that he he did. However, I just want to state for the for the for the, anyone to hear that I think you should be suspicious when government states its case. That's true of anybody. If they arrest anyone, you should always know it's just the government side, whether it's the Gilgo Beach guy who's been accused, whether it was me during my scandal, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Hunter Biden. All these things are are allegations. Um, now, Hunter Biden's a little bit different because he was about to plead guilty to something. So that means that he agrees that he did it. Uh, but that's all they are. And we have a, a presumption of innocence in this country. And and look, I mean, he's going to have, as I said last week, Trump is going to have the very best lawyers. He's going to have the chance to call witnesses. But I want to say something. A lot of the people that the that the uh, that Jack Smith point to in this investigation as as witnesses, as people who are pressured, as people who have given testimony, they're all Republicans. Donald Trump was not leaning on Democrats. He was leaning on fellow Republicans. And those people are going to be pretty persuasive to a jury because they were supporting Donald Trump. We'll see you on the other side for another hour of the middle. This is Anthony Weiner. Stick around.
finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Yo, Black, it's time. Bird, bird, it's timing. It's time, man. All right, Yeah. Straight out the field. Oh, dungeons of rap. We're fake, nigga, don't make it back. I don't know how to start this. Rappers are monkey flipping with the funky rhythm. I be kicking, musician, inflicting composition of pain. I'm like Scarface sniffing, yeah, or holding the M16. See, with the pen, I'm extreme. Now, bullet holes left in my peak holes. I'm suited up with street clothes. Hand me a nine and out the feet foes. So, welcome back. This is Anthony Weiner. This is the middle. For those of you tuning in looking for Curtis Sliwa for Left versus Right, that's going to be starting at 4 o'clock. And uh, he is. Uh, He's going to be coming in. We're going to be talking a, a good deal about what's going on with the subject where I'm going to touch on the next hour, which is the migrant crisis and immigration in general. And for those of you who missed the beginning, we are starting to do the middle for two hours. And I'm really grateful for the mentorship of, of Curtis, who has helped me get my legs underneath me, get a good sense of what makes good radio and whatnot. This is all of you, the listeners who have been tuning in. Jarno Margo Katsimatidis took a big risk putting me on the air, and I'm glad that we're getting some response. I know it's a work in progress. It's difficult. This is kind of just like we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip hop with the music that we're coming into this week, that this is a little bit like a hip hop hour in the middle of a classical music station. Sometimes it's a little jarring to get kind of a left perspective or a middle perspective. Um, but I do want to express my gratitude to all those people. And for those of you who, who have not listened to me in a while and you tune in just to hear me and Curtis, Maybe give me a try. You know, see if this seems like your cup of tea. And Curtis will be in at four o'clock, and I'll get a chance to catch up with him on left versus right. So I want to change the subject a little bit here. Um, and one of the benefits of having the extra hours, we can do a little bit of national and maybe something a little closer to home. But to be honest with you, the immigration problem, the migrant crisis, I've talked about it a few times in the show, is a is is it's an issue that's dominating our local news. But it's it's obviously a national issue. This this is not a you know, how we're dealing with the failure of the national policy is one thing, but the, it's the national policy that's the problem. And just so you understand, I want to just burst a couple of myths here. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You know, people say, oh, Joe Biden has done A, B, or C, and that's why we're in this situation. Um The immigration laws, particularly those that relate to amnesty, people declaring and getting processed for amnesty under our laws, were nothing Joe Biden passed. They've been on the books for for 40 years, 50 years now. And they were intended because they were intended to solve the problem that after World War II, even during World War II, when things like the USS St. Louis came with a boat full of Jews fleeing the Holocaust and they were turned away because we didn't have a process for how people who want to come to the United States and say that they're being persecuted for their beliefs, they're being persecuted for their religion, they're being persecuted for whatever, to seek asylum here the way so many Americans have in the past. And so a process was created, but the process never 
in a thousand years conceived of tens of thousands of people showing up at the border or thousands on every day. It was like if someone shows up and says, okay, shows up at our embassy or shows up in our country and, and says, I, I, I don't feel safe, then there's a process. And what that process is, is if you are standing in the United States of America, we won't send you back to your country without a process. You go before a court, you go before a judge, you go before a thing. You have a hearing. And the hearing will determine whether you are a legitimate candidate for asylum or not. But what that did is it created now this gap in the, in the, in the law, combined with the fact that now all at once, and this is not a new phenomenon, you remember uh, Donald Trump in 2018 and 19 talking about the migrant caravans. And Fox News talking about the migrant caravans. It was his rationale for wanting to build the, the, the wall, remember? Those migrant caravans are because increasingly we're having circumstances around the world that large numbers of people are being displaced, mostly unwillingly. When someone travels from, from Venezuela and crosses four other countries to get to the U.S. border, thousands of miles, because their economy is, at a, as, is in a spiral, that they can't get access to food or medicine because, because COVID has run rampant, because there's a war, and they all show up at once, and they get into our country. And they show up at the border and present themselves, which is what these people do. They show up, and then they line up to present themselves. Once they present themselves in our country, they are entitled to apply for asylum. Joe Biden did not make that law. That law did not get changed under Donald Trump. That law has been in place for a long time. And if anything, Joe Biden has, in, has tried again and again to figure out ways administratively to turn people around. Like he came up with this idea, you've got to apply in an app, you've got to apply in a different country, all these things that are not in the present law. And what has happened? The courts have struck them down because people have sued and said, that's not in the law. You can't just do that. This is a lesson, my, my listener, to the way government works. And to hear Curtis Lee or anyone else say, well, Joe Biden won't give us money. Joe Biden's the president. He's not the bank. You know who gives people money in our country? The Congress of the United States. Raises and spends taxes. That's in the Constitution of the United States. You know who can change the immigration laws? Not Joe Biden. No. He can't. He's the president. He carries out the laws. And you know how I know that? Because he said he was going to build the wall and send Mexico the bill, and that didn't happen. Look, immigration is at once an easy issue and a hard one. It's an easy issue because we all know the solutions. The solutions are, in circumstances like, you know, first of all, change the, the amnesty laws. Make it so it doesn't have to go before a judge. You can just go before a hearing officer, someone who can just, you can set up trailers along the, the border. You hold someone, not for months or years or you know, years, you, within weeks, you get a hearing. If you're eligible, you get to stay. If you're not, you go. And on the rest of the immigration problem, 13 million some odd people here undocumented. A lot of them are paying taxes, pledging allegiance to the flag, speaking English, not committing crimes, being good, contributing taxes. They came here undocumented either as kids or as adults, but they're, they're contributing. They don't go to the front of the line. They go to the end of the line. They pay a fine. No amnesty. You pay a fine. You go to the end of the line. Anyone who doesn't show up, 
who doesn't, who is breaking the law, who's not following all those rules, it's a smaller number. We go after them. We throw them out of the country. And people who are employers, if you hire someone who's not documented, you're responsible too. These are laws that have to get passed by Congress. But I said it's easy, but it's also hard. The hard part is you got to show a little courage, Republican. You got to say to those people who yell, oh, it's amnesty, it's amnesty, it's amnesty, just be quiet. We're trying to solve a problem here. No one's talking about amnesty. We're trying to solve this problem. The Republicans don't want to solve this problem, or they would be talking about it every single day. Let's go go to the White House, demand a meeting with the White House to come up with a solution to this problem. They love it. And Eric Adams, when he says, where's President Biden? No, Eric, you should be saying, where's Nicole Malliotakis? Where's Congressman Lawler? Where are all these Republicans in Congress who are now in the majority? Let's do something. Let's pass some laws that fix this problem. You want to allocate money? Allocate some money. And let me solve another myth, settle another myth, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, about this notion of sanctuary city. You know, what is that? Um, we probably have a cut here. I made of this at one point. The, the, the guy from Princess Bride saying, um, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. People who keep talking about sanctuary city and saying that's why people are coming here. No, Sanctuary City is a law enforcement policy that is in place in dozens and dozens of cities, that was in place under the Giuliani administration, that just says that if you present yourself to law enforcement to report a crime, to be a witness in a crime or whatever it is, we're not going to turn you over to the IRS. We're not going to you know, ask for your papers. And that's just smart for the rest of us. It's a way to stop crime. That's what Sanctuary City is. It doesn't mean you get any special privileges are big thing it just means that and ask any any cop who deals with who tries to solve crimes imagine if everyone's undocumented refused to talk to the police because they were afraid that they were going to get in trouble with the with the with the, what was then the ins now is ice that's all the sanctuary cities mean it's getting confused it's getting conflated by the way i always confuse those two words confused and conflated maybe some can, can call in and tell me which is which so what, what, what are people? Why are people coming here? And why is why can't Eric Adams just say no more room at the end? We got to go. And that is because in 1981, there was something called a consent decree. And that is when there's a lawsuit, usually involving a state party, where the state wants to settle and say, okay, we did, this, we did something wrong or we're going to start changing something. And the people who are suing says, all right, let's sit down and write a, basically a contract that the state has to agree to. In this case, it was the, it was the, the state of the, the city of New York. And it was the idea that the city had to provide housing to anyone who needed it in New York City. That right to shelter was from this litigation that started in 1979. Callahan was a homeless guy. They sued under the Koch administration. And this consent decree was supervised by a judge signed by the city, signed by the plaintiffs, which was Coalition for the Homeless. It's, it would start out being just homeless men, then it become women, then it become families. And it, re, it makes New York City the only city in the country that has a constitutional, by the New York State Constitution, right to um, housing. The only one called the Callahan Consent Decree. And what is it based on? 
It's based on a provision in the new, like why did the city and the state, why did the city agree to this? Because the New York State Constitution, what was then Article 17, I think it's changed now, it's not the same, required government to care for people in need. And the city thought they were going to lose this case. And so they came up, let's try to salvage this and come up with rules on how we're going to provide this housing. This is in the state constitution. So you and I, the taxpayers in New York City, if you live within this, the city of New York, well, the state too, right? The state pays these taxes also. We now live in a city, it's the only one on earth, that has nothing to do with sanctuary city. It has something to do with Callahan, the Callahan Decree. And it can't be changed just by someone wants it. It can't even be changed by a law. It has to be changed by basically the city going back into court and saying, we can't do this anymore. We have to violate it. And if, if the Coalition for the Homeless won't agree to that, they have to enter into some kind of negotiations because the judge will say a deal is a deal. But the next time you hear someone on the radio say, oh, sanctuary city is why we're in this mess, Democrats, blah, 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 blah. First of all, it's Ed Koch about as moderate a, you know, if you say you're an Ed Koch Democrat like I do, you basically, you know, he'd be a Republican today. He probably was a Republican towards the end of his life. It's a state constitution of your state. It's not something Eric Adams did. It's not some idea that he had in his head. Oh, it's, and it's not some dopey sanctuary city bumper sticker that you, it's complicated. But it is a magnet. There's no doubt about it. That if you're trying to figure out where to go and you find out, wait a minute, there's one city and it happens to be the city that has a big Dominican community, a big Venezuelan community, a big Ukrainian community, a big Haitian community. I know a cousin of a brother of a friend of mine who lives there. There are a lot of jobs there, whatever. We're a welcoming city, the Statue of Liberty, blah, blah, blah. And it also has a right to, to, to housing. Yeah. We're going to get a lot in cases like this where the system is completely broken by no choice of Eric Adams, by no choice of Anthony Weiner, by no choice of any of the listeners on the board. This is one of those thousands of instances. Where it's complicated. We want to have a straight line, a slogan for what it is. We want to have, oh, Eric Adams or Joe Biden open the border. More people have been expelled and arrested under Joe Biden than any president in American history. Now, that's not necessarily a great statistic because that means more people are trying or more people are coming in or whatever. But just close the border. I've heard some idiots running for president who use that line. Close the borders if it's a door. I'm going to suspend the this or that. Yeah, they see, you know what they did? They did suspend some of the laws for a while because under the under um, health laws, you can suspend a lot of rules for health emergencies. And they did that. And everyone said, oh, Fauci did it <laughs> to shut down. Come on. They were able to turn people away at the border like never before because of Title 42. And then everyone said, no, no, there's no COVID anymore. I said, yet you still want Title 42, which is a COVID relief. It's a COVID-related um, act under, under, the, under the Health Emergency Act. So those are some of the myths. And maybe with them out of the way, we can have an adult conversation about how you solve this problem. It's hard, and it's easy. We can do it. I bet you 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I bet you with just the people on the board who are calling in, we could kind of come up with an agreement on some smart things to do. So long as we kind of lay down the the rhetoric of, you know, 
Joe Biden open border policies. Come on. Thousands of people are left Venezuela because they had hyperinflation of two, three, four hundred percent that their president Maduro had had left them unprepared for um, for for covid. People were dying. They couldn't get medicines and they, they couldn't buy food. And like you or I would do, they picked up their kids and traveled hundreds and hundreds and thousands of miles away. More on the subject. Maduro was a socialist. We helped bring down that socialist government. I would think my Republican friends would be like, this is a great success story. But no, they want to bring down the government and they don't want the people. <laughs> it's like, you know, we want evidence that socialist socialism doesn't work. And then when it fails, we're not prepared to do anything to kind of prop up, uh, you know, to try to do anything to make it better. That's what you get, by the way, when you when you collapse a country because you don't like its politics. What do you get? You get immigration. So those are some of the myths. And I'm not saying that these things, this is hard stuff. You're the governor, you're the mayor right now. And I say this to, to, to Curtis and Curtis will be in at four o'clock for left versus right. I say, and for those of you just tuning in, the middle is going to be going from two to four each week. Curtis and I will be doing the show from uh, from four to five. And I say to all of you that that doesn't mean you can't be critical of, of Mayor Adams. He wants to put people in Floyd Bennett Field. I'm sorry, Kathy Hochul and Eric Adams. I used to represent Floyd Bennett Field. You're not allowed to put people in a federal park. you got to change the, wait for it, law for that. <laughs> I'm just saying these things, these it, the easiest thing to do in in a debate to show that you want to be president and say stupid things like, I'm going to close the border and I'm going to bomb Mexico. But being president, being mayor, being governor, it's harder than being on the radio just talking about stuff. But part of being on the radio talking about stuff is to level with people, be honest with people, tell them what the, what the border is, and boundaries are around your ability, like what you can do and what you can't do. You know, round them all up. What? Okay, tell me how that looks. Round up 13 million undocumented people. Exactly how do you plan to do that? And by the way, the next time you get your house repaired or the next time you go into a restaurant or the next time that you you visit your, your local military base, you see people who are, who are undocumented, who are helping to run this country. Helping to sustain this country. So when we come back, we'll take some calls about this. About anything else you'd like to talk about? Curtis Lee, we're coming in left versus right. This is the second hour of the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining us. We're celebrating with music the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Was born in the Bronx 50 years ago yesterday, and we'll see you on the other side. Now I'm a danger, finally pulled it back and saw three bullets caught up in the chamber. So now I'm jetting to the building lobby, and it was full of children, probably couldn't see as high as I be. It's like the game ain't the same. Got young and took it, pulling the triggers, bringing fame to the name. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Oh, yeah. 
The New York Times side Staying alive was no job Had second hands Moms bounced on old man So then we moved to Shallon land A young youth You're rocking the gold tooth Low goose Only way I begin to G-York Was drug loot And let's start it like this son Rolling with this one And that one Pulling out gats for fun But it was just a dream For the team Who was a fiend Started smoking So welcome back to hour two of the middle That's Wu-Tang Clan Bring us in with Cream 50th anniversary of hip-hop, Peter Rosenberg of Hot 97, in honor of my extended program, has been kind enough to provide some suggestions. And since it's Staten Island, there last night to see the Staten Island Ferry Hawks play the Savannah Bananas. Jordan had a ball with that, so a lot of folks there. The place was full, a lot of energy there. And since we're talking immigration, we're talking Staten Island, let's get Sal involved. Sal in Staten Island, welcome aboard, pal. First of all, Anthony Weiner, it, it was not um, it was not uh, so so from Long Island. It's south from Staten Island. I'd love to live in Long Island in the Hamptons. Oh, Staten I, I, Island. No, I said south from. I thought I said the whole setup was that Wu Tang Clan is from Staten Island. I was just in Staten Island. Did I say Long Island? I meant I blew it. I meant south from Staten Island. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Long Staten Island used to be the place where people used to go to get away from the hard drugs. It's where people go to get the drugs. South Shore Staten Island is the cocaine, hashish, heroin, and opiates laced with fentanyl from communist China, center of the world, the world, Anthony. Also, 50th anniversary of hip-hop. My God, you listen to those words. It encourages people to be slobs, slop, and, and rap encourages women being raped and sodomized and mutilated. Well, I kind of, I, I disagree with, oh, well, let's just take the two parts. First of the second part, I disagree with. Um, I think, I think hip hop is, is, uh, you know, basically arguably the, the poetry of a whole community. It's got stuff I like. It's got stuff I don't like. If you're going to read the lyrics of every line of every song and critique the genre based on that, you're going to have find something to like and dislike in just about any genre. But as far as what you're saying about like Staten Island being a place that you can find the fentanyl crisis, no doubt about it. The opioid crisis, no doubt about it. By the way, those two things are intimately related. The a combination of dealers, the industry, failure of government, got people hooked on opioids, and now fentanyl is like a cheaper, hyper-powerful version of that. Um, and I'll tell you the thing about the opioid crisis, and I did a whole episode on, on, on fentanyl, is that you know you, you realize that just enforcement – is not going to be the way you're going to solve this problem. But you realize something else. You know how these opiates and fentanyl is coming into the country through the southern border is not through undocumented people. It's some people who have documentation driving it in in cars and trucks. One of the great myths of this whole thing is that, oh, these people are climbing across, swimming across the river, the, the, the Rio Grande with a four-year-old in their arms and they're carrying um, fentanyl pills. No, they're carrying in the panels of trucks. They're coming in in cars. They're usually um, they're usually people who have documentation that are doing it because it makes them less likely to be stopped. That's the way a business operates. But it is wrapped up in immigration. That that's certainly the case. That's certainly the case. Let's go to Dan in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Dan. Buddy. Hi, Dan. You know this voice. You know this voice, right? Hey, Dan. How are you? Good, buddy. Highland Lakes back in the day, right? Very good to hear from you, my man. Yeah, listen, man, I, I just want to call and say I'm glad for you. I'm glad you're pulling it together, pal. I appreciate it. Very kind of you. How are things in Pennsylvania? How did you wind up in Pennsylvania? 
That's uh, a long story. You don't have enough time for that. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'm still married 40 years, believe it or not. Three kids, two in the military. God bless you. And listen, I want to get a hold of you. Can you uh, put me on side and you can get me my number or I can get you know, my, you're my, you're my number or whatever? I, I certainly will. But here's the easiest thing. WienerWABC at Gmail goes directly to me. You know, no one gets in, in the way of that. That goes for all the callers, too. WienerWABC at Gmail.com. All right. So uh, you doing good? Thank God. I'm doing real well. Dan, let's say to actually, Christian, can you do me a favor? Can you or Ava, can you take Dan's number off the line? Dan and I go way back. Dan, thank you so much for checking in. We're talking about immigration. Um, and let's see who else is on the board here who wants to talk about that. Let's go to uh, – well, Chris has an interesting question. He's been waiting a while. Chris and Beth Page, go ahead, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Yes, Anthony. I could tie everything into what I wanted to talk about last hour with this hour. Because I will say this, I'm a big fan of yours. I listen to you all the time. And the one thing that I always get is, I know you say you're in the middle, you call yourself a middle, but you do come off as just no matter where the Republicans stand on anything, they're hypocrites and they're bad. That's what I get. At least that's the feeling I get. But you're good about backing up what you say. I'm going to give you that. Now, what I really need you to do, and I've asked you this a while ago, but I, you, have, you weren't able to do it. But now that you have two hours, can you please do it? Could you possibly get on like an Alan Dershowitz or a Peter King or a Joe Tacopina or someone like that and have a nice, you know, a friendly give and take back and forth? Because you say one thing and then I listen to Alan Dershowitz because I listen to your station all the time. And, he, you know, and he hates Trump. He does not like Donald Trump. But he talks about purely constitutional uh you know, he's so, Chris, I want to tell you, you have suggested this before, and in the past, time has been a situation, and you're right. Now, it's like, now, let me think about the Dershowitz thing again. Here's the thing about Alan Dershowitz, and he and I have, are, we're, we're cordial, we're friendly, we see each other from time to time. Our friend Arthur Idala brings us together. There are people who are lawyers who make their, whose reputation, whose books, whose speeches are all about being in the, in the, in the bag for Donald Trump. And I don't want to have a conversation with someone who, I mean, as a lawyer, like I, like I, I did an episode of the middle unplugged with Arthur Idala this week, and he's not in that category. And we had a very in- interesting come back and forth, but let me see Alan Dershowitz. Let me give it some, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him a, him the call this week. Uh, if, if you could, Kevin, if you can just remind me, um, let's get Alan Dershowitz on because I don't think, I don't think the conversation will be very instructive because, I mean, I'm not going to do the politics of, oh, they're just out to get him. I just don't think that's lawyer talk, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, Next, let's go to uh, Eddie and Yonkers. Go ahead, Eddie. Thank you for joining us. Oh, yes, it's Teddy. Uh, I'm sorry, Teddy. Anthony, I think you're great. Last week I, I tried to get through, but there was a bad line. But I wanted to ask you this. You're so mild-mannered. It's a pleasure to listen to you. Everybody, all my colleagues at Bronx Community College, they think you're fantastic. Anthony, what, what, I'm not a lawyer, and you're a congressman, and I, that's another thing. I wish you run again for Congress. You have a very good chance of winning. I would vote for you, and I would gather support for you. That's besides the point. But, Anthony, I hear Rita Cosby said the same thing last night. Anthony uh, – uh, that guy Turley, the, the constitutional lawyer. Is there anything illegal what Garland did by appointing David Weiss, who is in government in the United States, working in the United States government as a special prosecutor? 
illegal. And is that true, Anthony? And I what, what, here's it. I appreciate it. And, and uh, I appreciate. It. I think I got your name wrong last week. Also, I appreciate the kindness. I I can't run for Congress anymore. I'm doing too much radio now. Now I'm up to two hours. You know, plus uh, me and Curtis. That's three hours. Look, here's the thing. Rita says that, and she forgets that Durham was a sitting U.S. was a sitting prosecutor in Connecticut when Bob Barr named him. <laughs> and I don't see anyone saying, "Oh, he can't be." A, a, a special counsel. I'm just saying, like, let's get our our complaints in a row. Now, in this case, this was an unusual case that he, the U.S. attorney was investigating something for five years. And what they decided to do was to give him these additional powers so they can make an argument that this was an unusual case because he had started out an investigation. And all they're really doing is changing his title to give him the, the, the power to bring an indictment in any jurisdiction that he wants because he's a U.S. attorney in Delaware. But Durham was a U.S. attorney in Connecticut, and he was a special prosecutor, but they liked what he had to say, so no one complained. It's phoniness. It's disingenuousness. And I'll say something else. You've got a guy who's doing an investigation, a Trump appointee who's doing an investigation for five years. Why would Comer... Or, or Rita or McCarthy or any of these commentators want someone to start fresh. It'll be another three years, another two years, another whatever it is. This guy's about to, to be brought before the bar of justice. Why would you want someone to start fresh? And by the way, who in God's name can you think they can name when they name Republicans and the Republicans complain. This guy Weiss is a Republican who's appointed by Donald Trump. The guy that's that's the special prosecutor uh, on the on the Joe Biden case. Where is that bozo's name? Um, her, I think his name was. He was the U.S. attorney in Maryland. A Republican. These people don't want... They don't. They complain about the process, but it's the outcome they are furious about. If 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 a prosecutor doesn't come down and and confirm their craziest theories that they have no evidence of, of the big guy being Joe Biden, of Joe Biden getting ten billion dollars of bribes, of this and that, if they don't come on with that, the guy, people are going to complain about the process over and over again. No, no, it's her. I think his last name is her. Here it is, Robert Her. Anyway, so. So I, I, I get it that there might be a provision that says it's supposed to be from outside of government, but apparently that is not always the case. And no one complained when Bob Barr named, named Durham. That's all I have to say. That's not all I have to say. I have, I have other things to say. I'm just saying that's all I, all I have to say about that. Tim in Rockaway Park, beautiful Rockaway. Hey, Tim, thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, before I get to my main comment, uh, with regard to the media bias, I mean, there's no way that an honest candidate, I don't care who he is, including Trump, can get to elected office unless the media is against, if the media is against you. If you're there against you, most of public opinion will be against you. Was media against him in 2016? Oh, no, no. That, but you're missing my larger point, because much of his administration, once he was elected, he was co-opted by the very people who were attacking him. People uh, like the uh, Secretary of State, Don, Mike Pompeo. No, we're talking uh, about the media. Like, uh, what, what? We're talking about the media, but I'm just testing your theory. Was the media with Donald Trump in 2016? No, and in fact, he lost the popular vote. Remember that. Oh, well, he, he, well, that's another question. Donald Trump, if you're going to say success is only if you win the popular vote, he's never been successful. 
said the media determines the popular vote. Oh, come I mean, on. Because in so far does Fox, is Fox, let me ask you this. Is Fox News the media, Tim? Yes, it is. And let me tell you, and let me, there are certain parameters within which you can speak in so-called conservative mainstream media. One of them, I'll give you an example. If you're away from neoconservative talking points, believe me, you will not get the time of day. If you remember Pat Buchanan, he had a show on MSNBC. He was canceled because he clearly stated some of the things that actually should be said with regard to foreign policy in the Middle East specifically. With regard to Israel, we give them $4 billion with a B dollars every single year in military. And we give the same amount to and we give the same amount and we give the same amount to Egypt. Let's just make sure we we say that. Hold on. No, no, no. You give less. But hold on. Let me let me make sure that I make my point. Israel has free public health education, health and education for its citizens. Their citizens graduate with four year uh, degrees without a ton of debt that prevents them becoming homeowners. The uh, people in Israel, they go to uh, hospitals paid for by taxpayers. It's universal health care. Yeah. And again, you know, your wife can go to a, a delivery room, give birth to a baby and not have to worry about it, being inundated with a medical bill that could leave you homeless by selling your home right. in order to cover your medical debt. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, but, but hold on, hold on. We're giving them $4 billion a year. It's one of the wealthiest countries on the planet. Well, hold on, hold on. Okay, first of all, let's, let me just get the context down. And Tim, you've given us some things. So first of all, Tim's first point, and I thank you for calling Tim Call back. You seem like a very thoughtful caller. On the first point, this whole idea that the media sets the parameters, I got to tell you something. If they did, there's no way you get Donald Donald Trump grabbing people by their whatever and and saying things about Gold Star families and everything else. The, the, the media was in a complete huff about him, and I think that's one of the reasons there was such a blind spot that led him to, to get elected. As far as our support for Israel, as part of the Camp David Accords, we give equal equal amounts to the penny to Egypt as we do to Israel. That was part of the deal in Camp David. So if you don't like us supporting Israel, and, and yes, but a lot of the way we do it is in the form of loans. A lot of the way we do it is in the form of, of, of military exchanges and things like that. But remember the role that Israel plays in that part of the world. They are a bulwark, a democratic bulwark, and, and as Tim correctly points out, a social democratic bulwark against a lot of really bad players in that part of the world. You know, they're there out there as an island, a country that is at war with 20 of her neighbors, not that she declared war on them. They declared war on her. And they're a democracy out there in the middle. Now, it's having its moment. I'm not going to I don't want to get too far into that. We can in a future episode. But it's a good investment for us. It's a good investment. They're around They're in they're in a really dangerous neighborhood, as you would say, of people who don't like the United States. And thank goodness that Israel is there now. The question of foreign aid has come up a lot recently, and again, it's something we're talking about. But invariably, since it's a tiny fraction of 1% that we pay in foreign aid, it does help us create stability and keep us out of uh, using money for much more expensive things like wars and immigration policies that have failed and everything else. If we could figure out a way to, to help the people of Venezuela stay in their own country, Isn't that a better deal than having them all show up in droves at our southern border with nowhere else to go? And if we can, by supporting Israel, do we keep Iran in a box? And isn't that worth the wait? And isn't by having having is Israel right on the border of 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 Syria and have Israel is taking those terrorist attacks nonstop? I don't know. I think it's a pretty good investment. 
I mean, foreign aid is not popular. Whenever you listen to these candidates talk about foreign aid, I'm going to cut foreign aid. Well, foreign aid is, I think, something like seven-tenths of one percent of our budget. It's nothing. But it's a pretty good investment when you start to think about how expensive out-of-control immigration is. Next, let's go to Joanne in Westchester. Hey, Joanne. Yes, hi, uh, Anthony. How are you? I'm well, thank Um, you. I always enjoy – good, good, good. I enjoy hearing you, your different perspective, I may say, um, on things on this uh, radio station. Thank you. you. Um, And, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I think you're very honest and down-to-earth and and good, however different, you know, because I am a Republican and conservative. There are things that you say that I don't like, but you, you seem to say the truth. Appreciate it. At the same time. So I respect that. Um, so I, there's far too much today right now going on with each conversation I just listened to. I'd love to get in on them all because I love them all. But I think the only thing I'm going to address, though, is the border, if you don't mind, because you originally started. Please, with please. That. Yeah, please. You can always call back again next week. We have more time now, Joanne. So okay. please. Oh, yeah. And I will. I will. And I'll say this real quick. Yeah. About the, other, uh, the border, though, right now particularly concerns me because one thing you didn't say and that the one thing that you did not say, Anthony, was that. Um, and I think it's very important that Biden did offer incentives, uh, you know, I mean, they, they interview people on uh, on the border at the border on TV. I saw on many stations. I watch all, all stations. I don't just watch when I need all perspective. Um, and what they would he, you know, he and borders. Um, I mean, incentives like um, giving uh, he's giving housing, as we know, housing. He's giving them uh, Food and all, you know, okay, that's the civil thing to do, but not to the degree in which they're getting it. And they have, they think they have the right of refusal and, and whatnot. That this isn't, accommodations aren't good enough, as Curtis always showed down on, um, at the Roosevelt Hotel. I mean, you know, it's. No, it's jo- Joanne, just, just, to be, just to be clear, you, the taxpayers of the United States, are not giving anyone housing, except here in New York City, as I pointed out. Right, right, right. And I think, yeah, but I think it's, no, I think it's horrendous. I think there is a point at which whether that law uh, that you're talking about, which I did not even know about, uh, so that's another thing I'm going to look up and bring up on uh, my local shows that I do call in on, the Callahan decree and all that. Mm-hmm. I think degree, and I think decree, and I think that, that that is like, we've got to get something done with that. Yeah, but just, but just to, just to be fair, so we have the, there's no incentives being offered by Joe Biden to, to come to this country. No, you could argue. That things that he said when he was running for office, the policies of of Donald Trump are outrageous. That building the wall is a, we're a welcoming country. That kind of that kind of language, perhaps. But we, they're not getting any benefit when they're not eligible for Social Security. They're not eligible for Medicare. They're not in, now. If if someone comes over and needs something to eat, we're going to feed them. Well, we understand that, but they're also getting cell phones to get it. Look no, when they set up these. No, uh, the, but, the only instances. I'm going to just be clear. Almost every immigrant that comes to this country is already carrying a cell phone. They're they're even no matter how destitute they are, that's the way that they're that's they're getting access to home. That's the way they're getting access to information. So they mostly have it. On some rare occasions, when someone comes here that doesn't have that, and we need to have a way to make sure that they are operating legally and they're showing up for their hearings and they're not disappearing, we will sometimes, in very rare occasions, give them. A cell phone just so we can track them, so we know that where they are and that they're showing up and things like that. But no, they're not getting anything to come here. It's costing them an enormous amount to come here. With the one exception, and I appreciate Joanne, call us back. With the one exception being the right to housing that is in New York City is the only governmental kind of thing. And the other thing is there are a lot of support organizations that do help people when they come to this country. 
uh, you know, sometimes it's the Catholic Church. Sometimes it's an organization like NIANA that focuses on new Americans coming from the former Soviet Union. There are organizations in South Florida that deal with, with recent Cuban immigrants. There are organizations, nonprofit organizations, but for the most part, what the government is doing is the bare minimum in terms of making sure that they survive. And in some cases, they are transporting them to get them to uh, to hearing officers that that can process them because there just aren't enough at the southern border or things like that. I mean, they're you know, like if, if you want to if you want to have someone have a hearing and 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 everyone is showing up at one time in Texas, but you want to have them have hearing offices and have hearing hearings in Ohio or something like that. We may transport them for that purpose. Or sometimes we're transporting them for the purpose of keeping them incarcerated while they're waiting for their hearings. But the problem with that is it's now the backlog is years. And we just we don't have the resources to keep everyone in prison for years, in jail for years while they're waiting for their hearings, especially since a lot of these people theoretically are eligible to come to this country because they're going to be found to be eligible for asylum. Next, let's go to Ina in Manhattan. Am I saying your name right, dear? Hello, Mr. Um, Anthony. Um, welcome to the um, the show. Thank you. For extra hours. I want to ask you one question. Is your mother a teacher? She was for many years. About 30 years, she taught in the New York City school system. Yeah. Was she working in Brooklyn in PS208? No. She in was... the second grade? Mm-mm. No, she was older because she was IS-88 in Park Slope. And then for the bulk of her career, she taught at Midwood High School on Bedford Avenue. Oh, because I, I, my son had a Miss Rena. She was very nice. Yeah, Our so was- in that case, it was probably not my mom. Not that I don't think my mom's very nice, but usually people that stop me on the train or something and say I had Mrs. Weiner for math. They would say she was a tough broad. But anyway, keep keep going. And, 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 <laughs> okay. Okay. I want to touch on your question on the about the election. The election was, was really stolen because there was proof on on the on the T V and even where I went and vote in in Manhattan, um there was there was a lot of mistake there. And so I'm asking you. What kind of mistake? Voters, but, Ina, before we move on, what kind of mistake do you, do you think they made in Manhattan? Well, I don't think it was a mistake. It was because just uh, it, first of all, the, the one that was near near to me, they closed it at, f- at five o'clock and it was supposed to open later. Then the rain started pouring. I was soaking wet when I went to the, the one that, that was op- that was going on. Um, just as I went to, I, I kind of have an eye problem. I have an accident in my eye. So um, I, I she, just as I go to the machine, she asks me if I need help. So I told her yes. And then she asked me, Democrat? I said, no, I'm not, I'm not a Democrat. I'm Republican. That, that was the first thing. So I don't even know if she didn't put me in. No, no, but Ina, I, Ina, I really do appreciate your calling. And I, I'm sorry that, that you, got, you had rain. And, and I'm sorry that you're polling place might have closed early but they've got to ask your party to know what whether you're voting in the right primary you might have been at a primary election that there might not have been a republican a republican primary that year it usually isn't we'll be right back to wrap up the second hour of the middle then courtesy what comes in for left versus right hope he's been listening because i've been saying thanks to him for 
and also saying that he's baloney with all this sanctuary city stuff, and then he's wrong to be blaming Eric Adams and Joe Biden. He should be blaming Nicole Maliotakis and President Trump if he wants to blame anyone. But anyway, he's coming in at 4 o'clock. The second hour of the middle is uh, still has a little more time. We have some calls coming in, and we're going to take some of them on the other side. It's Anthony Weiner. Thanks for joining us. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. So welcome back to the middle. It's Anthony Weiner wrapping up hour number two. Curtis Leo waiting in the wings to come in for left versus right. We're talking a little about immigration. We've talked about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. So let's wrap up with a few more calls. I do want to appreciate. I do want to appreciate. I do want to express my appreciation. Getting a few texts and emails and some people commenting. It's it is nice to get the vote of confidence to get a little extra time. We'll have a little more time. We're going to need it because think about what's going on in the American political system right now. You've got. The normal stuff, which is a presidential election heating up, debates happening, a ton of candidates jockeying for position. None of them are going to win. I think that Donald Trump will be the nominee. Then you have probably this week a fourth indictment is going to come down of a former United States president. You've got pretrial hearings that are going to be happening. You've got motions. You've got trials that are going to happen. You know, he Donald Trump is is dealing with a lot of things at once, but he he's got the resource to do it. You know, by the way, I saw him argue in front of the court the other day that he's a candidate for the United States president. I don't have time to be doing all of this legal stuff. Hey, dude, everyone who is charged with a crime has a life, has a job, has a day job that this, it takes away from. That's not the excuse. Whatever. Well, I'm a school teacher. I can't possibly show up for my trial. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. The, the criminal justice and waits for no man. Now, admittedly, if you're Donald Trump, you have resources that no school teacher has. You can hire the very best lawyers. You've got You've got you can tweet whatever you want, apparently, and you can you can comment all you want. You have so many resources. You have thousands of people who 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 jump at your every whim. But you still you're in charge of the crime. You can't say oh, I'm too busy because I'm, I'm I have a day job. That's not an explanation. Election interference. What about all the people that, that have life into like their lives are being interfered with? Does that mean if you're like a professional baseball player, you know, you don't have to, to, to show up if you commit a crime because I'm uh, the baseball season is going on. I have no time. Or if you're a politician who's just who's not a president, so I, I can't show up to to be to, to the bar of justice. I have an election coming up in a couple of years or this year. Not silly. I'm sorry. Uh, so let's bang out a couple more calls and then we, we have to wrap up because Curtis is coming in. First, let's go to Chris in Monroe, New York. Go ahead, Chris. 
Hey, Anthony. Uh, yeah, I like listening, but you have a, a great way of bending the truth. Okay. All right. Two things. Uh, this guy, uh, Weiss, you said he was uh, Trump appointed. I, I don't think that's true. He was appointed by two Democratic senators in, I guess, no. Connecticut or whatever. No, no. The, the, right. uh, senators don't get to make appointments. Presidents do. He was appointed in 2018 by Donald Trump. Next. All right, whatever the case, he was recommended by them. But but uh, on to the next one. You said that uh, why would you want to get rid of this guy? He's been he's been on this for five years, and the Congress came up. He came up with not. He came up with some sham little prosecution after. Uh, but Congress in six months has has come up with uh, no Chris. Chris, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Congress is a bunch of, believe me, I know these guys. They're a bunch of legislators. They know how to do an investigation of anything. They have stuff that looks really bad, but they don't have anything that's a violation of the law. Being a shady business guy who trades on your dad's name is not illegal. Not paying your taxes is illegal. We will see, I suppose. All right. What's that? Yeah, no, we'll definitely, well, we'll see. There's going to be, there's probably going to be a, a, a trial here of some sort now because it looks like the plea deal has fallen through. What the th- <laughs> I know, look, I know we're also partisan. I get it, I get it, I get it. But at some point, you got to turn it over to real lawmen to make these decisions. You can't say that everyone is corrupt who comes up with a different conclusion that you did. The best you can hope for is you get, guys, you just try to take the appearance of politics out of it by Democrats appointing Republican special prosecutors and Republicans appoint Democrats special prosecutors. Now, Biden is uh, Merrick Garland certainly done that. Jack Smith, not a Democrat. Um, uh, um, Weiss, a Republican. This guy, her, who's investigating his boss, President Biden, is a Republican. And Bob Barr, Bill Barr, he appoints a fellow Republican, a U.S. attorney in Connecticut. And then his report was a sham report. He didn't prosecute anyone, but he put out a report saying bad things about Democrats and about the FBI. I just think you got to at some point you got to say, listen, let's let, let's let these guys, you know, politicians are going to do politician things. Guys in the Justice Department who have career prosecutors. Let them prosecute. They get to a trial. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great. We're going to have a little more time each week. I got some great recommendations on who to have on in the future. Those type of that kind of input is great. Wiener, W-A-B-C at Gmail dot com is how you can reach me at Rep Wiener on Twitter. This is a great opportunity for me to spread my wings a little bit. And as I said, I've got a lot of people to say thank you for that. Um, one of them is coming on with me next is Curtis Lewa, John and Margo Katzimatidis, Chad Lopez, the folks who, who took a risk on putting me on the air. And all of you, my listeners, who call in each week and help to make this show better and better each week. I learn something every week. I learn something about myself. I learn something about the city. I learn something about the way I approach problems. And I appreciate the opportunity to be part of your lives for the last couple of hours. And I am very grateful, and I hope you have some things to be grateful for. And I look forward to seeing you on the other side of the break with Left versus Right with the great Curtis Lee.